Hello and welcome to another wonderful edition of Five Alive. We are so thankful that you have joined us today as we discuss God's Word and we are continuing on a series of growth in Christ. Today we're going to be talking about the standards of conduct of a Christian and we're just going to kind of follow these along within the standards of conduct according to a couple of different passages of Scripture. But as a follower of Christ, there are certain standards that we are to abide by and the rest of the world does not do those same things. And so therefore, there's oftentimes that we can feel as if we are the only ones doing this, uh, operating according to these sets of standards, especially when we are not surrounded with other like-minded people. There are times that the standards that we abide by are not the standards of the world, and we can feel like we're all alone. That does not prevent us from abiding by the standards which Christ has set before us. We are to take into account the standards of what Christ spoke to us through the scriptures, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can do this by regularly reading the Bible. We talked about this last week, that regular Bible reading is very important. But before we get too far into what the standards are that we are to abide by, I just have a quick question. If you were to be on this planet right now, like you are, and you were to all of a sudden no longer be in the city that you're in, would that city change? Would you be missed in the city in which you abide in? For Christ or in general, would your friends miss you? Would it be, would there be an emptiness there? Or would it just be like, oh, that person's gone and on life goes? That's how I feel sometimes, like my presence isn't ever needed. I've known plenty of people that we want you back where you belong. They feel I belong and where we they feel our family belongs with them because they want us to alter themselves to help them because they feel like we're such an important part in their lives and that we help them in their daily life more than other people in their lives and they want us to be there with them. But then also at the same time, yeah, I've gotten a feeling where they're just people that are grateful that we've left. With these thoughts in mind, obviously we're not always going to feel the appropriate emotion of what's going on, transpiring in reality. I know I don't by any stretch of the imagination. Yet my question is brought about because this is something that often we we do focus on when especially when we're away from something that we used to know. I know for instance for me there was nothing like the great feeling of running into a dear friend of ours from Jaipur Rajasthan here in Chandigarh and we ran into him in a store and it was like oh my goodness is that really you and it had been I think seven or eight years since we had snow. It hadn't been that long because they had come to our house here in Chandigarh once before. Um, but it had been about four years since we had seen them last. And the conversation we had, he spoke about how his life growing up has changed because of a, several conversations that we don't even really remember having with this person. And yet he followed some of the things that we talked about some of the principles that we shared with him and some of the standards that we had in our lives that he didn't just hear us say, I have this standard because I follow Christ, but he watched us live it out. And as a result of watching us live it out, it made a deeper attachment really 
not just to us, but an attachment specifically to uh, the, the principles of which we had talked to him about. And so with all of that going on, it then makes you feel good. Oh, I, I was doing something that was right and that makes me feel good. And so I want to keep on doing the thing that's right. It's like a reinforcement for us when it comes to those things. However, there are times when the standards of Christ can be questioned in our heart because we have something else that we're wanting to go after because we're very selfish people. And as we are selfish in our ways, we want to set aside the standards of excellence, goodness, holiness, and perfection that Christ has set before us. And I want to encourage us today for us personally to hold true to the standards which Jesus has laid out for us in the Bible and find ways to apply them into our life. And no matter what city we're in, that we would bring forth the light. As Jesus spoke about in, his, in, in one of his parables, we are to be like a city on a hill. That's not we as a whole group of people are to be a city on a hill. We as an individual person are to be a city on the hill. Jesus then told the parable about we are supposed to be like salt. Salt has multiple uses, and yet that's exactly what we're supposed to be. In other words, when we are not in the city that we have been in for the past blah, 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 many months or blah, 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 many years, is there a difference when we're gone? Because if there's not, then have we truly been the salt? and the light that Christ has encouraged us to be amongst the community that we live. Because the reality of our lives is, is we live in the place we live in, no matter where in the world it is. And when we come to faith in Christ, we are then a salt, we are then like salt and like light unto those that are around us. Mallory has a passage of scripture for us. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. And there are descriptions of how Christians are to hold our standards within this passage of Scripture. Mallory? And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But And if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and do not be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Excellent. Thank you for reading that, Mallory. Is it easy to always give an answer for why you believe what you believe? No. Well, yes and no. Why the conflict uh, of a yes and a no answer? It's not always easy because, and it is easy at the same time because it is something, at least for me, it's a, it's a personal decision and a personal relationship and I choose to believe in Christ and I choose this reason because of what scripture has told and through the revelation of the Holy Spirit to me personally. Mm -hmm. And so at the, if I'm trying to explain it to someone, I explain it from my point of view, but at the same time, it's hard to explain because it's my revelation and it's harder to explain it. I mean, I don't know. It's hard sometimes to explain everything 
that is going through and what you, everything you've thought of and everything that you went through to realize this, uh, that I believe in Christ, as opposed to just telling them, oh yeah, I do it because of this and just giving them a simple answer. Because I want to give people the full answer of why I choose to believe what I believe. And it seems simple, but at the same time, it's really hard to say it because it is something that I do believe and it is something I'm still working at and trying to believe even more. Mm. You're growing in faith then. Yes. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not always easy to give a specific answer sometimes, and it's not always because you're afraid of the abuse that may come your way yeah. or because of some kind of persecution, but because, as Xavier's saying, you want to make sure that you're giving the whole picture, the whole revelation, because of how important your relationship with God is. However, we prepare ourselves every single day with our conduct and with our character and with the way we walk about town and with the way we do business and with the way we talk to our neighbors to raise the standard of the way people look at us, which then makes it easier to give an account for why we believe what we believe. Because when they see our actions lining up with the words that we speak, especially if we're speaking the word of Christ, it makes it a whole lot easier to say, okay, I can see that you are a follower of Jesus because, for example, I remember a couple of months ago, we were walking outside and somebody was talking about Xavier isn't a liar. Well, we know Xavier doesn't lie. Xavier has never told a lie ever before. There's no way that that boy's ever lied in his life because he is a truthful person. Well, how did the people that were saying that come to that conclusion? They came to that conclusion because they've known Xavier for a couple of years. They've heard him talk and everything that has come out of Xavier's mouth as a 16-year-old young man yeah. has been truthful. And he hasn't given them a, a reason to doubt his truthfulness. And so therefore, when he says, the reason I believe in Jesus is because of this, they know Xavier's not scamming them, but he's telling the truth because they've seen it played out so many times before. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Many of our old patterns of behavior will now be out of place and plainly wrong when we come to a new relationship with Christ. And as we've lived established lives in Christ, we will continue to correct the things that we see are off a, a little bit in our lives, leading us in the wrong direction. We will continue to talk with Jesus, not just in prayer and not just in reading his word, but we will continue to change the pattern of our life so that that way our behavior becomes more Christ-like than it ever has been before. And the past habits that we had will be replaced with new and Christ-like good habits that we will then abide by and walk through the rest of our lives. And those new habits that we are then developing will reflect the image of Christ that is in us. And so when people look at us, they will see Christ as Lord. So a part of our series in Growth in Christ and talking about our standards of conduct is when somebody sees me from across the street and they've never known me before in their lives, I want them to see Jesus in me. When I open my mouth, I want them to hear Jesus in me. And that is a goal of ongoing, as Xavier said, ongoing belief, ongoing faith, that I am continuing to have my life transformed into a more Christ-like image and allowing the old to pass away and continuing to live in the new that Christ has created me into.
The Bible, along with the Holy Spirit, will continue to help reveal God's will for our character and our lifestyle as we spend time with him. In addition, the Holy Spirit will prompt us with his voice that is not an outside audible voice, but the one that comes not from our heart, because our heart will always, 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 yes, Disney, our heart will lead us astray. And so we have to listen for God speaking to us. And that voice that he speaks to us is from the depths of our soul. And we will know that it is him that is speaking to us because our heart will always be in conflict. The Holy Spirit will then prompt us to live in things that are not questionable. And he will cause our stomachs, like those butterflies in the stomach, when we feel like we're doing something wrong or when we've developed a bad habit. And he will allow those things to continue to bother us, not so that that way we uh, give up on life, but so that that way we recognize that our reaction to something or our attitude in something or even our lifestyle in something is not Christ honoring. And he will bring up scriptures from Bible studies or reflections that we've talked with in conversations to other people so that that way our actions will be changed. And the combination of the Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit will be a very effective weapon against the complacency that we're so tempted to fall into especially as we desire to be obedient to Christ. Now, when we're talking about these standards in just a moment, we're going to read from Romans chapter 6. When we're talking about these standards, we are not talking about these are the standards that we then get to impose on everybody that is our neighbor and everybody we work with and anybody we don't like and anybody that looks different than us. These are the standards that are laid out for us personally. They're not to be then used as a whip to beat other people into submission so that that way we are now the dominant force within wherever our community is. But these are the standards that are for us as individuals. First and foremost, I, Matt Rolance, have got to live according to the established standards that Jesus Christ has laid before me. And then I establish the rules inside of my household that my wife and I are accountable to each other, that my children and my wife and I are accountable to each other, that my parents and my wife and my children and I are accountable to each other. And we're not afraid to call each other out when something is not right. There's a warning I want to give us here as well. To abuse somebody with scripture, to abuse somebody, whether they're a coworker or a family member with scripture, and try and say, well, this is the way you should live because this is what it says in the Bible, is still abuse. And we cannot live a Christ-like life if we are abusing people by beating them over the head with scriptures. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't sit there and go, oh, well, you know it says in the Bible, and you knucklehead, blah, 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 blah. No, Jesus instead was like, listen, this is what it is. This is the way it is. And so abuse has no place in Christ. Next, we cannot compromise our standards. We hold firm to them. We read the passage of scripture. We die to our sin. We come alive to Christ. And as we do that, we stick to those standards. So lay your whole future before God. Commit every problem, issue, success, and sin unto him. And ask his guidance in setting and keeping our standards of conduct. We are to grow in moral excellence, which brings us into perfection 
and holiness through Christ. That's right, I said perfection seems to be a curse word in the church nowadays that people think there's no way as Christians we will ever be perfect and they want to sit there and try and hold our feet to some kind of past fire that our sins haven't been forgiven of us anymore and that we need to continue to live in ultimate submission to everybody bringing back our past into our face and throwing it there so that that way we're always living a shamed life so that that way we'll keep coming back to church and keep on giving our tithes and offerings. What nonsense. Christ called us to be perfect because he is perfect. Am I saying that I am a perfect man of God right now? I'm not saying that. I am saying he called me to be perfect, and so therefore my moral standards, my standards of conduct, my lifestyle must start looking like Christ because then I am walking down the pathway and the road towards perfection, which one day I will have, and I will have complete perfection when I'm in Christ Jesus, when this body and this flesh have died, and I have been raised to new life. Passage of scripture we're going to read is Romans chapter 6. So Xavier, if you'll read Romans chapter 6, 1 through 14, and Blair will finish out this chapter in the book of Romans through verse 23. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death, death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a, in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God to, as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, I have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? 
for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the reading of God's word. So now that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, who do you no longer serve? Sin. Sin. Do we have to be specific in sin? No. No. Is sin a master that is desiring to consume the whole entire world? Yes. yes. Absolutely it is. So there's no specifics that we're going to call out here. No. no. Because every individual is different. And every individual is tempted in a different way that is only pleasing to them own individual selves. And as a result, what we have done when we've come to Christ is we've conquered sin. Right. And it is no longer our master, no longer holds mastery over me. The word to reckon means to count upon something in spite of how you feel. What two things are you to reckon in accordance with what we just read? Well, I reckon that (laughs) one of them is definitely to consider that our faith in Christ is to be in acceptance of his death and that he died and raised again from and he's from the dead and he has now destroyed sin and so in him we are dead but also we are alive mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we need to understand as believers in Christ that though we serve Jesus Christ that doesn't mean we can go about in our sin because Christ has destroyed sin and so therefore we follow after him and so in that, we also have to reckon and consider that God, we serve God because God has given us eternal life through grace. And we do not take that grace for granted, but we all, we act out in his grace and we do what Christ does. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important for us to consider our past lives before Christ are gone. Mm-hmm. They're No more our sin from our past life before Christ is gone. And when we run into people from the way we used to know them and the way they used to know us, and they call us out going, oh, remember when we used to do this and this, and they start reminiscing over those things, the shame that we feel in our heart in those moments, the guilt that we have in our heart in those moments, we must consider that Christ allowed that sin, that shame, that guilt, all of those emotions that we're feeling in that moment on the cross, and they are no more in Christ. It's not that God has a bad memory. He ultimately paid the price so that that way, that old lifestyle that we lived before we became a Christian is gone, and we are now new creations. We've got to consider that instead of allowing the guilt to consume us and eat us alive. And another part of that is, is also if Jesus rose from the dead, and he has, which means he's living eternally, and he is, that I also have that same promise, that there is more to this life than when my heart stops beating and my brain turns off, that's the end. Mm-hmm. I am not a computer that all of a sudden, it just gets shut off and never gets to reboot ever again. No, I am a creation by the creator God who has created me not just for this world and this time, but he's also created me for eternity 
as I serve Christ, I will live eternally. Are there other things to consider? To go along with being saved by grace is we are no longer slaves to sin, yeah. but we're slaves to righteousness. Mm -hmm. And slavery has a bad connotation towards it because of the evils of slavery that has gone on. But in our slavery to Christ and to his righteousness, we are given the freedom to do what he has asked us to do. In our slavery to Christ and in our servant of, and acting as servants of Christ to the world, he gives us the full freedom to be ambassadors of his name. And in doing that, he trusts us to be good ambassadors and to serve him well. But some of us don't do that and they drag his name through the mud like some servants do. And so in that, not only are we in our slavery towards righteousness, doesn't mean we're always doing it right, but we are still no longer in sin through Christ. And he has given us the opportunity, even though the term is slavery, we are free in that slavery. So we actually started jumping into the things that we are to yield or offer ourselves, which is what my next question is, is according to this passage of scripture, what are we to yield, offer ourselves to? Who do we offer ourselves to once the, uh, the sin is taken away? Who do we offer ourselves to? Xavier answered that. We are now servants of Christ and we are slaves of righteousness. From what have you been set free? We mentioned that as well. We're set free from sin. And I just want to encourage you as our listeners, we're not going to go through this necessarily out loud, but just consider this question. List out some old habits which you believe are to no longer be a part of your life as a follower of Christ. Sometimes when we list things out, sometimes when we uh, wrote, write them down in a, a, a devotional, sometimes when we write them in a journal, uh, we can see the power that these things have over our lives and the prevention that they keep us from serving Christ better. And so I want to encourage you to list out some of the old habits so that, that way you can be freed of them. And don't just leave it there with the old habits, but make a list of new characteristics and qualities, which now will replace those bad habits and those bad characteristics and become a part of your new life in Christ. So what are some standards uh, that we do here in, in our family that would be encouraging to anybody else that's, that's listening? What are some things that we, we definitely do on a regular basis to conduct ourselves like Christ. I always take to heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And what I mean by that is if I don't love who I am and who has, and who God has created me to be, how am I going to love my neighbor? If I'm always nitpicking at my own self of characteristic flaws or physical flaws or spiritual flaws, and I'm not sure of who God created me to be, and how am I going to love my neighbor? Hmm. So I really have to take that into consideration, and that's a daily thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Because I do genuinely love people. I do love my neighbors. And sometimes, I mean, throughout my life, I could probably love my neighbors more so than I love my own self. Because then there comes that comparison trap that, 
man, I wish I was like that. Or, wow, they're doing all of this. And it could be so surface-based as the do, 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 do. Not saying no. Yeah. Hmm. Not saying no or just watching people be more active than maybe I am in life when that's not fair. I'm not, I'm not, it's not fair for me to do that because then I fall back into the place of not loving who I am and not loving the fact of who God created me to be. Hmm. So love your neighbor as yourself. Embrace who you are. Embrace your imperfections and go forward and don't make excuses. You do not have to make excuses if, if, if you're a little crooked in ways. Another thing as a child, acting out every day is in the commands of the Lord is to obey your father and your mother. And Christ did this as well in obeying his parents. Mm-hmm. Now, he inevitably followed after his heavenly father's will more than his earthly parents will, but that does not mean he did not obey what his parents had taught him and followed and listened to his parents. And so every day in towards being more like Christ, I strive to obey my parents every day in what they have asked to do and follow after them. The follow after what they've said, what they've brought me up to be, but also at the same time being my own person hmm. and being who I am through I'm being who I am with their teachings. Another thing I think is patience or long-suffering in our family through following after Christ. We have quite a lot of it, but at the same time, we can lose it very quickly because living overseas, we don't know what's going to happen next, what problem, what power is going to go out, what problem is going to happen with the car, when we're going to get a flat tire, when we're not. And in that, we've had to learn to be patient and just go with the flow. And whatever happens that day, we may have a plan and a schedule for that day, but some things may come into play that we weren't expecting. And through the patience of Christ, we're able to overcome the frustration of not being able to get everything done that day. And we just continue to move forwards, which is hard for some people to even fathom the ability to not have everything go their way Hmm. like the the taxi didn't come on time and then all my luggage got stolen and I don't know where it is and all this other stuff and so they get frustrated and mad and they can't handle it but through our faith in Christ our family definitely has learned to have patience in those situations But at the same time, we can also still get bothered by the most minuscule things that doesn't even (laughs) matter at all. And our our patience can be just worn thin because we're still striving to be like Christ. Right, right. Yeah, with that, I think our flexibility is a characteristic that's not one that you're just going to go and type it into a Google search of, Find flexibility in the Bible, and then it's going to pull up a passage of Scripture for you. But I think it's a Christ-like attitude to be flexible. I think of uh, him walking with a crowd of people, and he's going to raise a girl from the dead. She is sick. He's going with this family. There's a crowd of people around him, and a woman comes up and touches the hem of his garment because she's got an issue of blood that she's been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus doesn't yell at her, reprimand her. I can't believe you touched my... I can't believe you touched my feet. I can't believe you did this. But instead, he was really flexible, even to the point where he's like, hey, guys, who touched me? And the disciples were like, 
Xavier said, their patience in that moment was worn thin. Like, what are you talking about? Who touched you? Everybody here is touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? He goes, no, no, no. I, I felt virtue. I felt power leave me. Who is it that touched me? And that f- flexibility uh, along with, coupled with patience is, uh, is a characteristic I think we definitely have as a family and is one that I encourage uh, others to constantly look at how can we be more flexible and forgiving. I, I hope that we're a forgiving family. Yeah. And not only forgiving towards others, but also forgiving towards ourselves. Yeah. Because we are grow up, we're taught if someone does something like for good morals, especially in Judeo-Christian societies, is we're raised and taught to share and to forgive others whenever they hurt us. But at the same time, we're not always taught that whenever we let ourselves down, we also have to forgive ourselves. Right. Our self-forgiveness is just as important as forgiving others for correct. what they've done wrong. That's correct. We'll put put it on the spot here. Have you ever heard your mother or me ask you to forgive us because we know that there was something that needed to change about maybe our life or our attitude or maybe we just were like, I'm sorry, I was wrong about that. Have you ever heard us say, I'm sorry? You guys say you're sorry? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you hear us apologize. Yes. Do you guys apologize to us? Yes. It's reciprocal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think this is a characteristic, a standard that us as family members have to have with each other or us as Christians have to have with each other is to walk not just in repentance like we were talking about a couple of weeks uh, last week, uh, but also when we forgive to also recognize that uh, there's those times that we've got to apologize for things that we've done instead of just saying, suck it up. I don't care if I did something. I'm not. I'm never going to say those words. I'm never going to say I'm sorry. I hope that I don't act that way. I, I hope that as a family, we understand that we make mistakes and that we forgive each other and we're truly repentant and sorry for making the mistake. So with our standard of conduct and with our Christ-like character, do our emotions ever get up to the point where we elevate our voices, where we maybe even get upset or angry? Does that still happen within our within our family dynamic? Yes. How how do we usually resolve that kind of a situation? Do we just well, like every situa- slam the door? Every and walk situation away, is or? different, and every family dynamic is different. Not all families are the same. That's the you're not going to find how to raise your family. No, I know. You can, I mean, our family dynamic is different from somebody else's yeah, family I, dynamic. I, I understand that. So I'm just saying we we I, do get upset. And we, we handle it, don't we? We walk through that together. Yeah, it takes time. And it it's, takes time. It doesn't, it's not an overnight fix. Definitely not. I just want to be encouraging of the fact that, yeah, we, we do get upset. We do get angry. We do uh, have conflict. And every principle that we use in conflict resolution may not work for everybody. And that's okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying we've determined to resolve the conflicts. To the best of our ability. To the best of our ability. Because sometimes conflicts don't get resolved for a year or two or three. Correct. Because, I mean, a person can be in complete denial about it. Absolutely. But that's just, either that could be me wanting, like, perfection out of you, or you wanting me, you're wanting perfection out of me and not out of you. I mean, that's just a, we can build up scenarios in our mind of the way a person can be. Yeah. And if they don't fit into that mold, 
that's that's our fault. That's our my that would be my fault for even dreaming that and not fair. It's not a, a fair fight. Correct. And and so in those moments, we've determined as a family to resolve the conflict. And like you said, it may take years, mm -hmm. but because we're determined that we're going to resolve it, mm -hmm. that's the Christ-like behavior. Because he doesn't ever give up on us. He doesn't ever say, okay, <laughs> you know, I gave you 15 chances already and you didn't. And so therefore I'm done. And but yet we can act like that as a family and in our marriage. And that's not a Christ-like conduct or standard. And instead, what we're doing is we're constantly working through to the point where all of a sudden it's like, oh my goodness, this has been a five-year process that we've gotten to this point. And I'm so glad that we were persistent because now things are so much better than they ever were before. And if we would have just given up, we wouldn't have made it to where we are today. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very important standard of conduct that we've got to uh, abide by as families is uh, resolve and uh, persistence of love and kindness, and caring for each other, as the scriptures constantly talk about. And what does that look like for me as an individual is very important. We've been bringing that up, Blair. It is very important because the scripture, as I read it, I can't then go and put it on Blair and say, well, I read this today and I haven't seen you doing this. Mm -hmm. And you can't read the scripture and go, well, Matt, I've read the scripture today and I don't see you doing this. And then we harbor bitterness towards each other. Instead, but we did do that in our beginning of our marriage. Absolutely, we, we did. We really did. We absolutely. came into that. Well, hey, I think this passage of scripture is for you and not for me. Right. And then we would just look at each other going, what, what are we doing to <laughs> each other? This is horrible. Right. Because sometimes it would be a different passage of scripture, but yet it would be the same exact thing. So the revelation of it all was... That was God speaking to us as an individual, as an individual of going, Ooh, right. I don't like this about me. Right. But yet we were trying to change each other and it was like, <clears throat> but yet sometimes <laughs> it was the same exact thing Yeah, 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 yeah. that God was working in me and God was working in you. <laughs> and it's like, and there was no competition of, well, I'm going to change it faster than you. Like right, we right, never right. made, made it as a competition. It was it takes time because it is a growth. It is a development. And every year is a new year. I mean, you're not going to be 21 forever. You're going to embrace 22. Then once you think you've got 22 figured out, you're 23. Voila, you're 23. <laughs> or actually 27. And you're like, wait, I got it behind somewhere right. here. <laughs> He's like, hold on, wait a minute. When, when did I get to be 27? Like, where did those four years go? Right. For real, it happens so fast because you don't know what life is going to look like. It's good to have like that five-year, 10-year goal plan, 20-year goal plan. What is life going to look like? And there's going to be letdowns because life isn't always going to look like that. I mean, gosh, I thought 20 the year 2000, we're going to be flying up in the sky like the Jetsons. Yeah. I just, and I knew I was going to have these like awesome silver rocket boots that were going to shoot me everywhere around the sky, like <laughs> wherever I wanted to go. I just knew that's what 2000 would be like. Well, here I am. My feet are still planted on the ground and I'm in a car and I can walk and there's no Jetson life activity. Right. And I'm not punching buttons. To get, still, my, to get my food? To get my food. I'm still turning the dials. I'm still, you know, <laughs> making things from scratch. Right. And it, it's, things have changed. Things have progressed. But it's not where my mind was at of my projection of what the year 2000 would be like. Right. And, and that's okay. And your flexibility with it is, that's okay. It's okay.
So to be dead in our sin and to be alive in Christ is a daily part of our everyday life. I mean, it's a, it's a part of our everyday life in the capacity that it is the way that we set the standards that are to be there before us as an individual person so that that way we can play the role that we're to play in our family, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our community, so that that way when people look at us, they see the light of Christ. And when we're not there because we went on holiday or because we went uh, and shifted to another community, that light, we pray, will be replaced by another person who is giving the light and being the salt. But at the same time, the community is going to change as a result of our presence not being there because Christ is so alive in us. And that's okay. And it's something that we've got to recognize. We're not the answer. We are not the answer. But Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, He is. And He will continue to be the light of this world. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day. And we worship you always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.